Y'all, nothing beats a healthier ride than a 45-minute spin class at Cycle Bar with you. Y'all know I've been on a journey of health and wellness. My doctor recommended that I do cardio to improve my blood pressure. It's been high and I have hypertension and nothing has worked better than the Cycle Bar West U class. I'm telling you, Cycle Bar has the smart bikes. They will calculate your distance and your calories. The music's great. The vibe is great. The lighting is amazing. And the trainers really want to make you have that amazing experience. I don't know if I mentioned this to you. But if you wanted to, you can ask for your favorite workout songs. They want this to be about you. They want you to have the best experience possible. And by the way, I am letting you know now that they have a new rider three pack for only $49. Amazing. You find them at 3233 Southwest Freeway. Or you can also reach out to them at 713-677-0477. And their email is westu at cyclebar.com. Ask for Guillermo. He's going to take care of you. If you don't do anything else for the rest of the day and you do this cycle bar with you class, I'm telling you, you're going to walk out and you're going to feel like a badass. I am so, so excited to present someone to you today that I've just been trying to get her on the podcast for a while. Right, Victoria? Oh, yeah. Um, Victoria Garcia is a very, very dear friend of mine. And we have been friends for at least five or six years now. And, um, you know, we kind of got started in uh, my boutique. You're a photographer. Oh, yeah. You're a, an amazing photographer. Thank you. And she's been taking photos of me for the last, I think, five or six years. We do branding photos mm -hmm. together. Um, and uh, Alice, Alex, my son, asked me this morning. He goes, who's going to be your guest today, Mama? I said, Victoria. He goes, oh, goat it. Like, so goat it. You know, <laughs> he's 19. Like, she's the goat. And I'm oh, like, yeah, she is, honey. She is. But, you know, it's so funny that even the kids, like, he's he's like an aspiring photographer, aspiring yeah. videographer. And um, he knows to go to you to see what you do because you're you're the goat for him. You're like the the, the top, you know. He's oh, like, love he that. loves everything you do, your photos and the way you do everything. He's like, I wish I could just, like, shadow her sometimes. I'm like, you can. You should, you know. And I think, yeah. I think it's a good thing even for kids, you know, to shadow people. Absolutely. But, you know, I think you and I had a podcast episode when I first started the the, the, the podcast back mm -hmm. in 2020. And do you remember that I we do. did it in my house? Yes. <laughs> we had like a little Yeti microphone and we talked about MBTI yeah. back then. What a long way you've come. <laughs> I love it. Thanks. I know. I think it's like amazing how it's like um, evolved into, into all of this now. Um, and I just love doing it, and I can't see myself not doing it now, you know? And it's something that kind of started because of the pandemic. I just didn't have my store anymore. I wasn't being creative anymore. I wasn't teaching anymore. I wasn't doing anything. And for me, Victoria, like, it's so important to be doing something. I Absolutely. can't not just sit still. So welcome again to the podcast, Thank Victoria Thank Garcia. Thank you for having me. Uh, Victoria Garcia Studios. She is a brand photographer. She is a lifestyle photographer. Um, what other kind of photography do you do, Victoria? That's the main, that's the main okay. gig, branding and lifestyle photography for small businesses. 
Yeah, and and if you all follow her, she has some of the most beautiful shots ever. You. And your yeah, and not only that, but your um, your clients are gorgeous. Like, how oh, did you get so lucky to one have one. so many of us so beautiful? <laughs> right? You do the job how for do me. You do that. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But you know what? You always make it comfortable for us. So I think that shows in the photography that you do. I think it shows like our essence because you make it so seamless. You make us feel like this is going to be fun. Don't worry about it. Because, you know, we're so self-conscious. You know, so many women are like they won't take the photo until they're like, skinny yeah or you know their skin or their boobies are done or mm-hmm. you know they've gotten they lost 10 pounds yes just wait till I lose 10 pounds I hear that all the time it's always that I know and yeah. I hear it as a stylist they're like you know I don't want to wear that I'm going to wear this because I don't feel comfortable in that and you're like oh my god you look just so wear good. it just take the picture no just take the picture but you know today's episode I really wanted you on because um one of the things that I've really been um focusing on for 2022 has been health Oh, yeah. And health, you know, has been something that I kept putting on the back burner for the longest time. You know, for years, I think I've been focusing on my mom because my mom is always sick. So I'm always worried about her. So I never even thought about me. But for the longest time, Victoria, I think maybe since 2020, I was having health problems with my heart. I was having palpitations. I was having um, shortness of breath. Like there were different things that were going on. and My heart was just not right. And every time I just kind of like said, oh, it's probably just because I'm stressed or maybe it's just the COVID thing or maybe it's because of the pandemic and I have anxiety, always made an excuse, you know, for why I wasn't feeling well or why that was happening. But then you got sick last year. Yeah. And I remember you in June of 2021, already feeling pretty bad, pretty sick. And I remember mentioning to you, like, go get checked. Like, you need to go get checked. Like, you need... Is I started to see also you were losing a lot of weight rapidly, like in a crazy way. And you're already super thin. So, I mean, it looks like, wow, like you were not doing well. Like you were not doing good. So let's go back to those days, to June 2021. And I like the title of your blog that you posted in March. It's What is Wrong With Me? And I think that was a question you kept asking yourself. Yeah, about uh, this time last year, I was experiencing a lot of pain. I had gotten to the point where I wasn't able to walk very well. Um, Any kind of activity would just lay me out. My fatigue was really bad. And, you know, walking up the stairs would just be really painful. I couldn't sit for very long. I couldn't drive. And that, that question was plaguing me. What is going on? What's wrong with me? You know, and there were all of these different theories about what it could be. Um, My digestion had really come into play. And so I was doing a lot of stuff around my gut health and my physical activity. I changed my diet completely. I changed my lifestyle completely. Just really trying to find a way to not only figure out what was going on, but to also manage the symptoms at the same time. And it was rough because, you know, at that time I didn't have health insurance and there weren't a lot of avenues for me to um, get the resources that I needed in order to really see what was going on. And what I could do, you know, I went to the free clinic in my neighborhood and she said, well, you're constipated. So uh, eat more fiber and drink more water. Yeah. And that was like the basics of the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And at that time I was like, "Okay, sure. But there's there's something else here that we're not felt. Yeah, definitely not. Yeah. The constipation. 
And then when I lost all that weight, I lost about 30 pounds in a matter of two months. My hair was falling out. I noticed and that, yeah. things just started to get really, really scary. I went from, in total, I lost about 40, 50 pounds. I went from wow. 120 to January of this year, I was at 72 pounds. My that goodness. was right before my diagnosis. Right before your diagnosis. So... What is wrong with me? And I think that's a question a lot of women ask themselves, but I don't know that many of us really try to go and find the answers. Because I, I had that too, like, what is wrong with me? And it was because I noticed that you had done something and you were like, okay, I need y'all. And you said it in that mm -hmm. post. You said, ladies, go get checked. Stop waiting. Stop thinking about it and just do it. And I did. And I went and found a doctor and it did turn out that I have hypertension. And it could lead to heart disease. It could lead to a heart attack. It could lead to a stroke. Like there's so many things that that problem could have led to Absolutely. if I didn't check it. And I would have caught. I would have been going years with it, Victoria. Oh yeah. Because I was just like, well, I'll just deal with it. It's fine. You know, I was getting headaches, like really bad headaches. There's so many things that were going on with me, but I just kept doing it and kept going well, it's on hard about to life. Put, it's hard to put all the different pieces together because they don't all happen at the same time. Mm -hmm. It's not like, you know, in the same day you have a headache and your heart mm -hmm. flutters and you have yeah. these things. They're happening at different points in time. And so it is difficult to put all of those little pieces together and say, okay, this is the scope of my issue. And I think the reason why we wait so long to get checked is because mm -hmm. we think it that can't be me. It's not going to happen to yeah. me. Whatever the worst thing is in your mind, you really tell yourself that's not it. I had symptoms of cancer around the time that my daughter was born, and she's going to be six next year. Oh, my goodness. And if I look back, I can I can see those early days symptoms that I was like, eh, yeah, but that's not it. This That can't be it. And so I never What were those really symptoms, those Victoria? Um, so I have colon cancer. And so the early symptoms of colon cancer are... Uh, chronic constipation, changes in your digestion, weight loss, um, bloody stools, um, and other things that kind of crop up. And so at that time, I had found a lump in my neck. Mm -hmm. But when I Googled it, as we do, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what is yeah, this? Yeah, you go to Google MD. Uh -huh. Dr. Google. <laughs> Dr. Google. Um, it's a very, you know, your lymph nodes being inflamed is a very common thing. And most of the time, it's not really anything. And so I read that and I'm thinking, okay, well, it's not anything. I'm fine. And then I also had blood in my stool, but because I had just had a baby, I thought right, it was right. hemorrhoids or, you know, mm -hmm. fissures mm -hmm. or something like that. And all of the things that it could be that weren't cancer were what I thought that it was. And mm -hmm. with that in mind, I didn't go seek out further medical care because those seemed like things that would just resolve themselves over time. And they didn't. They just got worse over time. And I, and I really didn't pay attention to those really big red flags. Like when I had my daughter, I lost about 30 pounds after having her. And mm -hmm. I was down to about 100 pounds right after I had her. Had you always been very thin or was it more just or less. after your baby? Yeah, more or less. But I thought because you I, were breastfeeding I too. was breastfeeding. Right. So that's something that we always say, oh, that'll keep yeah, you down. Exactly. exactly. And so, you know, all of those things put together, they just didn't, you know, there weren't any alarm bells at that time. I had to be in like excruciating pain for an extended period of time before I was like, you know, maybe I should see what's going on. But Victoria, okay, you were you were misdiagnosed initially, correct? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, not I wasn't even actually diagnosed at all. In the beginning, I thought that I had pelvic floor dysfunction. Right, that's what I thought that yeah. you had. Uh -huh. And that's what I was advocating for myself because it is very often 
um, underdiagnosed. And mm-hmm. it is a problem that a lot of women face after having multiple children. And just as they age, you know, our pelvic right. floor is one of those things that we don't pay a lot of attention to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As women, we've sort of normalized the, you know, oh, I kind of pee a little when I cough or, you know, I, if I laugh too hard, I have an accident. Of course, right. And we just, as women, we've normalized that as just part of you know, getting older and having and, and kids, having kids. Mm-hmm. but that's not actually normal. It's not something that we should be writing off. And, you know, those were the kinds of things that I was seeing in my life that right. were leading me to. And, and the truth is I did have pelvic floor dysfunction, but it was a symptom, not a cause, not a cause. Yeah. But in the, in the age of so much information, I think a lot of times too much information can give you too many options and too Absolutely. many things that yeah. don't help to focus on the one thing that it right. really is the problem, right? I think we think, well, you know, I'll just Google it. I'll find out on Google. And then you just see something like, oh, it's just maybe just that. And you're like, yeah. oh, okay, well, that's what it says. Instead yeah. of saying, maybe I need to really go to a doctor and get it checked out yeah. because it's something more serious. Well, and I think more to that point is that even at that time, there wasn't a way for me to find out what it really was because I didn't have adequate medical care. I didn't have insurance. And so... When I first went to the doctor and she recommended that I get a colonoscopy, this mm-hmm. was in June mm-hmm. of 2021, um, wow. for me to have had a colonoscopy out of pocket would have been three to $5,000. Yes, it's expensive. And there was just no way. And even if you have insurance, like say you're under the age of 45 and you mm-hmm. have insurance, mm-hmm. your insurance company is not going to um, qualify you for a colonoscopy. They're not going to pay for it because you're not 45 and older. And that's the age at which they're like, okay, now you are allowed to, wow. to get this checked out and we will cover it. So wow. even lot. if your doctor wants you to have it done, yeah, the, the insurance company. Once you say, no, you're not, you're not old enough yet to need one. So we're not going to approve it. So what, wait until you have the cancer to finally get a colon? Pretty much. And for exam. a lot of um, young adult and adolescent onset cancer patients, especially colon cancer patients, by the time that they get diagnosed, um, about 80% of them are stage four. Stage four. You know, and it's important that we mention that because, you know, rising rates, it's 18,000 people are in the age of 50, according to cancer.gov and the American Cancer Society, 18,000 people under the age of 50 will be diagnosed with collectoral cancer this year in the United States, just in the United States. Um, and I think it's something that we don't think of it. We think of it like an old person's mm-hmm. thing. Like, oh, it's not going to happen to me. I'm healthy. I eat well. Yeah. I exercise. There's no history of it. There was no history of it in your home either. You are, like, healthy. I know you are. And I know that you eat well. And I know that you're active. Um, and this still happens. When you get the diagnosis, what does that feel like? What is that? What is that what does that do to you your psyche yeah well for me personally it was a sense of relief because I'd been suffering for so long many colorectal cancer patients have zero symptoms um and so I know that in the communities that I'm in it is a huge shock and it is one of those things that you never want to hear that you have cancer especially that you 36 years old you know single mom of two kids that you're stage four like that's a huge slap in the face for me, there was a sense of relief that I had an answer because up until that point, right. I felt like I was just spinning my wheels and I knew that with the diagnosis would come treatment that was actually tailored to what I was going through. So initially there was a sense of, okay, well, this is an answer and we can move forward from here. Once 
And then, you know, even then moving into the actual diagnosis, I was, my health had deteriorated so much to the point that I think even in the very beginning, I was in just a lot of shock Mm -hmm. that this was happening. Mm -hmm. It was really surreal that, okay, here I am. And now this is what I'm dealing with. It wasn't until after a lot of that initial shock wore off that I was really able to say, okay, wow, like this is real. And there's some things that, you know, have to, you know, we have to think about going forward now, you know, um, the mortality rate for colorectal cancer is 12%. So um, only about 12% of stage four cancer, uh, colorectal cancer will survive past, past, past five years. And that's a hard statistic to come to terms with. You know, mm-hmm. when you think about the next five years of your life, I mean. What has helped you to come to, to, to this place of optimism? Because I see optimistic in you. Mm-hmm. I really do. I think one thing that I, I noticed in, in whatever you do now, whatever you're, you're like living your life, you are doing the things that you always do. You're still doing photography because that's not good. How, where is that coming from? Where is that coming from? How are you not, for example, I know for me, I think I wouldn't know what to do, but I think that I would probably be like super fucking sad and yeah. in bed and just fucking mess. Where, where does it come from, Victoria? I feel like for me, it's come from a very long life of surviving really horrible situations. I am a survivor of domestic abuse. I am a a survivor of poverty and um, childhood sexual assault. So over the years, I think that I have just developed a sense of perseverance and grittiness at all costs and Mm -hmm. in creating the life that I wanted to live regardless. And, And it's crazy to say this, right? Because you're not probably not going to hear it from a lot of people, but this isn't the worst thing I've ever been through. You know, Mm -hmm. this is a Mm -hmm. serious health crisis and it has made me face my mortality in a way that I think a lot of people go through their lives without ever having to think about. Like there's sort of like a timestamp now Mm -hmm. in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, But it happened at, at what I would call the, the happiest I've ever been in my life, the most fulfilled I've ever been in. So I wasn't going to allow this diagnosis to take away everything that I've worked for and the life that I've struggled so hard to create for myself and for my kids. I just wasn't willing to let it steal all of that from me. Wow. It's like a survival ethos. Yeah. Like you live by it. You, you, you breathe it every single day and you do it. And I can see that. And I think that's inspirational. And that's something that if anything, Victoria, I think it's kind of led a lot of women, a lot of people our age, a lot of women our age who we're so focused on our careers, we're so focused on getting to the next level, the next level, like, okay, now I'm going to do this, now I'm going to do that. You can't do any of those things if your health isn't well. You cannot be the best mother if you're not taking care of you. You cannot be the best worker or boss or CEO or entrepreneur if you're not taking care of you and you're whatever's ailing you. I think we continue to think that we're just going to push through, push through, because that's kind of how we are. We just push through when we push through, we push through, but we deal with it. There's a Right. But there's a point where, where it falls apart. There's a point for me where it does, where it did fall apart. And I had a, a huge moment of, of reckoning and I'm like, I can't keep going at the level that I go getting the anxiety that I get, getting the, the, the crazy, um, the, the heart palpitations because I've go, I'm, go, I'm, I'm dealing with something and trying not to believe it 
then it's not happening to me. No, it's not happening to me. Of course I can, you know, I'm healthy. I'm good. Like, no, I'm 46, 47, you know, like I'm still young, you know, and, and it's not like that. Like we have to really take stake at where we are in this point in our lives and what we, and we keep, what is it about as Victoria that we keep setting these goals, these goals, these goals, these next achievements. And then honestly, in reality, how are we going to even get there? if We can't even fucking like get up out of bed. I think it's it's this uh, sort of denial or this sense of having plenty of time. And and that's one of the things that has really come into focus for me is what my real priorities are, the people who are really important to me, the things that I want to do with my life. Because when you have this mentality or this relationship with time as if, you know, it is indefinite, and I think most of us as human beings we don't think about our own mortality. We don't live as if, we're on borrowed time. We just kind of, you know, we just imagine ourselves being old and, and you know, kind of like dying at a, at a ripe old age and right. having lived a long mm-hmm. life and accomplished all these things. So, you know, there's this idea that we have plenty of time and so we just yeah. keep grinding because we don't ever face the, the fact that we're no, nothing is promised, right? You know? It's and so, not. Do you think it's society? Do you think it's... Um the, the way that we were brought up to to go to work and go to work and go to work. Oh, absolutely. And, and like this yeah, idea. Especially this, in America. This, yeah, in this country, the way we see um, our successes are, are, are always tied to money or always mm-hmm. tied to, you know, what other achievement did you get? What other title did you get? Well, what other award did you get? Don't get me started on capitalism because yeah, there's a whole no, other. But, that, <laughs> but that's a very good, that's a very interesting, that's a very interesting way of also kind of gasping or like, grasping who we are and where we're going and what we're doing and what kinds of things we keep putting value on. Well, I mean, just look at the pandemic and and how many people were so willing to forego our health as a nation in order to get back to work, in order to have productivity and to keep the cogs running. You know, we were more focused on making sure that, you know, we had our bottom lines taken care of. At the risk of getting sick and dying, right? Absolutely. That yeah. always supersedes everything. I think that's something yeah. that, and that's a really interesting conversation to have as well. Like, how does this country, or how does this this, this particular society um, create these situations for women, especially for moms and women, Absolutely. especially um, women who have all these different, um, what, what would you call them, like mompreneurs? And then mm-hmm. like, you know, you have this and then you have that. And then you're just like, like, for example, people are always asking me, well, what else are you going to do that you're just yeah. podcasting? Like, yeah, I love podcasting. Why do I have to be doing more than that? It's yeah. like a constant thing. Like, you should be doing What's more. What's next? What's next? Yeah. What are you doing next? What are you doing now? Like, is that all you're doing with your time? Like, yeah, I love it and I'm having a great time. Yeah. And, um, and why isn't that enough? Why is it not enough? It's like yeah. this idea you have to constantly be doing more, achieving more, getting that next title. And it's like, for what, honestly? But you're going to have that kudos, kudos, bravo. And from who? From people who at the end of the day don't have a stake in your life. They're not going to be concerned when you can't get out of bed and, and, you know, have a play date with your kids because you're so unwell because they're still going to be living their lives regardless. You can run yourself into the ground and, you know, there's very few people who are going to be there going, hey, are you okay? Do you feel cheated out of life? Do you feel like uh, your body has betrayed you? Sometimes. Yeah. Um, it's definitely something I've come to terms with as my body has changed so much in the last year. I went from feeling at the prime of my life mm-hmm. and the prime of my health, the happiest I've ever been. My career was on fire. My relationship, I just started a new relationship right. that was just, you know, 
so thrilling and, and exciting and my kids are doing great. And then bam, you know, I'm kind of like hit with this freight train. And then through the course of everything that I've gone through, I've lost 60 pounds. I've gained 25 back. I'm, you know, I had a colostomy surgery. So now I have a colostomy bag, which impacts a lot of my fashion choices, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't dress the same that I that I used to. And so, yeah, there are times when I struggle with my body and I struggle with my identity as a woman when I get dressed and when I try to go out into the world and still try to live what I would call a normal life mm-hmm. in spite of everything. Mm-hmm. And it's tough when we're, you know, conditioned to judge ourselves based on what other people consider um, beauty. Yeah. I don't know if, 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 if that's even the thing or not, but um, do you come to see it like now it's all so fickle? It's oh, all yeah. so silly. The things that we worry about, the things that we are always anxious about. Do you come to that and think, wow. Sometimes. I mean, it's hard not to be bitter, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, because there are times that I, I feel like I am dealing with the weight of the world on my shoulders. I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, what do I leave for my kids? If I pass, how long do I have? Like these really huge life questions. And then right. I see people who are, you know, complaining about the little things Some that they have, thing, yeah. you know, being stuck in traffic mm-hmm. or, you know, just, just things that where the hell they're going to go have dinner yeah. or something so silly. And some, you know, somebody yelling at somebody in a, in a checkout line and, right. you know, over like a coupon that didn't go through. And it's just, that's, what's frustrating to me is because I think that what a privilege it is to have so little to be, you know, to going on in your life that you can be upset about such insignificant. Right. You mentioned your kids. How did you talk to your kids about this? And what approach did you did you take with my oldest? So I have a 16 year old son with him. um, He had seen me in my health issues for a long time. So he was worried already when I told him that was probably the hardest thing I've ever had to do. He broke down. I broke down. Um, We lost my sister in law to leukemia a year before last. And so our family still reeling from a loss, a cancer loss. Exactly, right. Um, so he, I think that he, you know, took that to heart and was really worried. My daughter, she's five. I've been clear with her from the beginning that, you know, mommy's sick and this is what it is. And there are resources out there for parents of young children, how to have those conversations. And Tried to be as honest with her as we could, but because her cousins who are the same age as her had mm-hmm. just lost their mom to cancer, mm-hmm. she was very aware, even if she didn't really understand, that cancer was something that could take, could take mommy me mom, away. Yeah. Take mommy away. And so I think that the the further I get into treatment and the better that I'm responding, the easier it's been for both of them and seeing my attitude about it, right? Like, right. I was gonna say that. Yeah. Just your your mindset itself yeah. has I think that's has an impact on the kids. Yeah. Because they see that I'm not living every day like I'm sick. And I think that that helps because they get to see me um, attempt to have my life and I think that's really important for them that no matter what happens at the end of this that they know that I wasn't going to just lay down and and accept this and let it happen yeah Mm -hmm. exactly Victoria in your blog one thing that I I remember reading and it just kind of like it just put me in like this a different a different mindset as well like it really made me think you said that cancer the thing about cancer is that it doesn't just take your life as in you die, first it steals away everything you know, your life to be, and then and then that's it. 
you are now still doing photography. Tell me about that. What does it mean to still be a business owner and living with a chronic disease or an illness, a terminal illness? What does that look like for you right now? I think when, you know, when I got this diagnosis and for a lot of people who get this diagnosis, the first thing that they think is what, what is my life now? Who am I, you know, with this? And because cancer itself frames so much of my daily life, it almost felt like that's what I had become. I had become my diagnosis. I had become, in the eyes of of many of my peers and my family members, this this person who was now dying. And the identity that I had before as a businesswoman, as an entrepreneur, as a single mom, as an independent woman, all of those things were stripped from me. I went from being, you know, hyper-independent and handling my business to having to rely very heavily on, on other people or even the smallest things like, you know, washing my dishes and, and having my, my laundry done and right, right. walking even, you know. So it, in the beginning, the identity that it stole from me was who I was as a, as a woman and, and how I was showing up in the world. And I think that hit me the hardest when I started to feel a little bit better and realized that everything that I knew about who I was as a businesswoman was still there, but now it was shadowed by well, she has cancer. I started to be really concerned about whether I was losing business because my peers knew that I was sick and they, so they weren't hiring me. I was concerned about new people coming to my blog or coming to my, my Instagram and seeing this diagnosis and being turned off by the fact that I had cancer. Right. Like, right. will they still hire me? Are people still going to trust that I'm able to show up and, and, and do the job that I've said that I was going to do? Um, and all of the other fears that you have as a business owner around your your worth as as were, a were those provider. fears founded, or were they unfounded? Like, did you realize it really did not make much of a difference for the clients? I think they were unfounded because okay. the the people who were most loyal to me were still there, mm-hmm. and I've had new clients since then who, once I realized they don't really do that much digging. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like I've been I've been on a shoot uh-huh. and had somebody go, oh, I didn't realize that you had cancer. And I was reading your post yesterday that you posted. And yeah. so once I came to that realization, I was like, I can still run my business and live my life and have this conversation around my diagnosis without me being the cancer girl, basically. Right. You know what I mean? Right. About what about the, the opposite effect? What about you feeling like maybe they were only hiring you out of pity? I have not had that happen yet, more so because I think that um, I don't I don't really feel like my peers pity me very much. You know I was what just going like, to say, I don't think that it would be something because you're a very confident woman. Yeah. And so they so know your work as well. Yeah. 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 Which is good. Yeah. You guys, I want to introduce to you my skincare expert, Natalia Castile. Everyone wants to know how in the world do I have the most gorgeous, beautiful skin? Yep, thank you very much. I know. And it is because of her. Natalia Castile is my go-to skincare specialist. She takes care of me. And I'm telling you, you guys will love her. You will find her at the ACPS. It is the Aesthetic Center for plastic surgery. And if you really, really want to know more about them, you can visit them at their website, ACPS Plastic Surgery. It is a med spa that I love to go to. It's so easy just calling in and say, I need to set up an appointment for my facial with Natalia. 
and they take care of me immediately, in and out. They take care of skin rejuvenation. They do something called derma infusion. They do cool sculpting. And Natalia does all of that. She's also taking care of my laser needs. Like she does laser reduction for me. And I swear to you, people say, oh, it's painful. She makes it so painless. Love, love, love her. So if you need to find out more about how you can get great skin, follow her at her Instagram, Natalia Castile, at Natalia Castile. You will not regret it. I will give you guys all the details and she will take care of you. I promise you she will do a great job for your skin. You will not regret it and you will have the best skin of 2022. My friends, I want to introduce to you the Vanguard Agency. They are fit for Texas. They are in the business of helping people to save money. For all of insurance needs, the Vanguard Agency cannot wait to work with you. Get a quote for your home, get a quote for your auto, a quote for your business and restaurant. They are ready to shop your insurance policies with top-rated insurance companies. Go see my friend Umberto Garcia. He's been in the business a long time and makes an effort to make your insurance policy needs as seamless as possible for all of you. Tell him you heard about them here when you call him at 281-453-8770. They speak Spanish, and I know they will take care of you. Well, you know, but I think sometimes those are questions that people have, you know, especially if you feel like, am I going to perform at my highest levels? Like the levels that I know I can perform, am I going to still be at that point? Are you still going to be the creative person that you've always been? And creativity doesn't diminish, does it? It only gives you, I'm, and I sense this, a, a, a just a, another level of creativity, another point of view. For well, I think this conversation is one of the bigger conversations around how we view disability in our daily lives and how we view people who are living with chronic illnesses because I happen to just be entering a part of this space as somebody who has a chronic illness but we have many, many people out there yeah. who have, you know, whether it's physical disabilities or mental disabilities that are living their lives and running their businesses and being total badasses. And I think that we have, um, it's really sad how we discount people yeah. who have other types of abilities without realizing that they are capable of just as much as we are, just at a different level. And mm-hmm. if we can get to mm-hmm. the point in our lives where we can give space for those people, whether it's in being a little bit more flexible with our time or understanding that people need a little bit, you know, different kinds of accommodations. Yeah. um, Then we can stop upholding people to these standards of excellence and productivity and, um, and all time perfection and perfection. Right. Because it's just not attainable. Even Mm -hmm. for the most able, it's not attainable. And so for me now it's a conversation around how do we, um, make space in our lives for people with chronic disabilities and people who have things like pelvic floor dysfunction, which is a chronic disability that, you know, once diagnosed, it's very, very hard to overcome. You deal with chronic pain and, and mobility issues. And if I wasn't diagnosed with cancer, if that was the only diagnosis yeah. I had, I was still going to have to live my life differently and show up in my business differently. And I would still be asking my clients and my peers to understand that, I might not be able to walk up three flights of stairs. Exactly. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That, that I might need help to carry some of my gear. And if you're the kind of person who values the art and the person behind the service that you're yes. that you're purchasing, then you're not going to mind giving a little bit more space for those people. 
But if you're somebody who feels like the person that you're hiring is just there to do a job and that they better show up and not complain, then, you know, whether you're dealing with somebody with a disability or not, you're going to have a hard time. Absolutely. You know, because I think those standards of perfection are what keep business owners in that constant wheel of imposter syndrome. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Do you find that like even when you are are working and you're doing your thing and you're, you know, how has your business changed? Like how are you how are you different now than you were a year ago when you were doing this? I have put a lot less stress on myself to do all of the things. Okay, do all of the things because yeah. we do all of the yeah. things. I have really minimized a lot of the the things that I do in my business in the sense of I have streamlined it down to what's most important for my clients and what's most necessary for me. And I've stopped trying to attain so much. You know, if I have space in my week where I don't have anything to do that day, instead of feeling like a lazy POS and like I need to be creating something or building something or working on something, I've stopped and I've let myself take the day to not have anything to do. And, you know, like you were talking about with your podcast, mm-hmm. with people asking you what's next and what mm-hmm. else are you doing? What else? Uh-huh. Why can't what this is just enough. be enough? Yeah. Because it never is yeah. for, for most people. It's not enough. It's not enough. And it's a constant uh, barrage of, of, of social media and quotes and people go hustle, go get more, go mm-hmm. hustle, go hustle. But when you are in that hustle mode, it's not fun. It's exhausting. You're not enjoying the journey. You're not enjoying the process. You're exhausting yourself. You're making yourself sick along the way. In in this this idea of attaining the next thing and attaining, like, for example, for the last two years, Rusk and I were doing flips, and we've been doing flips, and he's been doing oh, yeah. a lot of properties, and he does a, he flips shopping centers too. But honestly, since June, January, we were like, we're not going to take any more jobs. We're not. We're not. We're, we, we overexerted ourselves. I made myself sick. I was the one dealing with contractors, so I was constantly on the phone fighting with people because, you know, I speak Spanish. So Russ told me, you talk to the contractors, they speak Spanish. And so a lot of those things, and we were, and and, you know, when January hit Victoria, we were like, we're not going to do any flips. We're going to, we're going to wait till maybe the mid-year and then we'll do that. We'll do that again because we realized that we were slowly but surely killing ourselves, like going to points and to extremes because we wanted to get the next thing. We want to do more. And then he's very competitive. So if he sees somebody doing more than him, he's like, well, I need to go get How the come next I'm one. Not doing that? I need to do the next one. He's very competitive, but like really checking ourselves to be like, really? Do we really need to be that? Right. Well, and that's do the we question. Do we really want to be that? Do you really need to be? Do we really need to be that? I think that when you pare down the to the essentials of what you, need and what you can get done in the span of a week it's surprising how little you actually need to do Um, and that's something that I've really come to in this space of prioritizing my health is that I probably work actual work maybe five or six hours a week and I'm still able to run my business at the same rate that I was running. I was going to ask you about that. Are you still running it at the same rate? And like, because it's your livelihood. I know that photography is your livelihood. That's what you make your money from. You're, you're, you're able to do that mm-hmm. still today. Yeah. And wow. because, because I, I spent all those years building the business and building the foundation, it does in a lot of sense run itself. Now I'm also not in the sense I'm not scaling my business. I'm not mm-hmm. trying to add mm-hmm. more to my plate. I'm not creating a bunch of different products and right. continuing to mm-hmm. redefine the wheel. I am allowing my business to be what it is and to serve me in the way that I need it to serve me now. And I'm using the space that I've, created in the absence of that you know 
hamster wheel churn right. to focus on my health and focus on my kids and and to show up for the things that I want to do in my life that I didn't give myself space to do um, because I thought I had to be on 24-7. I think a, we a all do. A lot of us think that way. Yeah. A lot of us are brought up, especially when we were brought up, for example, by immigrant parents in my case, it's like, what are you doing that you're not serving your immigrants, you know, desires and their goals and their dreams for you? Look at you being lazy. How mm-hmm. dare you take one day off? They came to this country so that you could have these opportunities, so that you could have this education, so that you can contribute to but society. It's all bullshit. It's all Victoria, the capitalist But lie. all of those things are things that we grow up with. Mm-hmm. So, well, and especially in this country too, deconstructing absolutely. those things is extremely difficult. Especially for those of us that that was pounded on for years. Like, you have to be the best at everything. You have to, you know, even go to the next level, the next title, the next, you know. But think about what we saw in the pandemic when everybody was working remotely. And yeah. we realized how little time it actually took to do the jobs that we were spending 40 hours a week exactly. doing. Exactly. I know. It is really amazing how that happened, huh? And then you realize that productivity really has nothing to do with the 8 to 5 thing. It's just no, it like doesn't. you're productive. When yeah. you're productive, it could be from 8 to 12. And you're productive instead of taking two breaks, instead of taking a whole hour lunch and wasting time. But we feel like in order commuting. to charge what we charge or to get paid what we need to be paid, we need to be working constantly. Right. And if we're not showing up on social media, showing the world that we're working mm-hmm. 12 hours a day and that we're suffering and losing sleep over our business, that somehow we're going to be valued less or that somehow we don't deserve to charge you know, a premium. But really, I deserve to charge a premium because I've done all of that for seven years. And I've gotten to the point where I know what I'm doing. And you're damn good at it. Exactly. And I think that's the case. It's like, yeah, you know what? You you pay me because I'm really good at this. And I'm going to make you look really great at these with these photos. Absolutely. Whatever it is, I think that people also one thing that you you, you, we learn and we have to deconstruct is that you you have to be humble. Like, don't, you know, don't be too conceited. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. don't tell to people how horn. good you are. Yeah. Exactly. Don't toot your own horn. Like, give another seat. Like, they're going to think you're conceited. They're gonna... yeah. My mom didn't raise me like that, though. My parents didn't raise me. But I know a lot of girlfriends who were always like that. I'm very different. So I always come across as as, as egotistical a little mm. bit, a little bossy, a little bit, like, yeah. a little too much. Yeah. But I think the women who understand it and get it, like, they're not bothered by it. Right. But because so many of them are raised in a very strict household, like these are the rules and you have to follow these rules. I didn't have any of that. I, all I grew up with was like, you have to just achieve because, you know, your grandparents, you know, they, they were braceros and your grandma came and she, you know, your dad is an anchor baby and he was raised in, in he was born in Harlingen, Texas. Yeah. All those things are in your head, right? Yeah. Like he was born in Harlingen, Texas and she was eight months pregnant when she came, you know, all those things where you're like, oh shit, I can't fucking fail. I can't, <laughs> I can't, I can't do it. Yeah. Um, but you know what? I think ultimately as we grow older, we learn. And I'm deconstructing a lot of those things, too, for myself as well. Like the whole imposter syndrome thing, um, where I just didn't feel like I deserved it. So I never went for it because I felt like, you know, I'm not, you know, not deserving of it. Who am I? You know, who who do I think I am that I can get this or I can do that or I can ask for this or go that route, whatever it is, you know. It's crazy, but I want us to talk a little bit before we end it. I want to talk a little bit about the healthcare and like how to be advocates for healthcare. Um, the system, and I'm, I'm, and I'm all in there with you. The system is really screwed up. Yeah. I 
probably ha- I spend maybe 50% of a month in the hospital with my mom because there's she's just has so many issues. Yeah. Um the days that she's at home, I'm like, "Oh my goodness, thank you, thank you, thank you." I so I'll call her every day and in my phone calls, I'm hoping that she's not feeling sick or she's not feeling, you know, for something. Um because the system is so messed up, I'm on the phone with insurances all the time. I'm trying to locate a doctor to finally see her on a day. That's not a month later because she's really having issues now. I need you to see her now. And what is the only other option but to go to the ER? That's the only where, option. Or you're going to pay $15,000 to wait in the waiting room for 10 hours for them to give you right. one pill. Yes. I have a $15,000 hospital bill. Or going to the ER because I was in so much pain. They made me wait 10 hours and then they gave me, yeah, like morphine and sent me home. Now I've got creditors calling me, I know, three times a day. When are you gonna I pay know. this bill? I'm like, I know, because I this see is the outrageous. Bills. This is yeah. outrageous. And and thankfully, she's in medic on Medicare and Medicaid, so it covers a lot of that. And she also has like a supplemental B insurance that my dad was able to get when that's he good. retired. Um, but if that wasn't the case, okay, and let's just say that's the best case scenario. They have insurance, they have, they have access to doctors, they have, you know, et cetera, et cetera. They still have issues with getting uh, approvals, getting referral letters, um, for me to find an advocate. Thankfully, my sister was able to find an advocate at the hospital where we have her at, and he's been able to take care of that. But because we are like, she and I are always pestering people. Imagine all the people that don't have that, don't have that pestering daughter that's like, mm-hmm. I need you to check my mom now. Like, yeah. we're not waiting anymore. She's in pain. You need to see her now. Victoria, this system is really, really crazy. And if you're sick and you're gravely sick, it's even worse. Correct? Absolutely. It's That's been one of the struggles that I've had. You know, I'm lucky that I was able to get insurance right before the turn of the year. So that when I was officially diagnosed, I was sent straight to MD Anderson, and they've yeah. been really phenomenal as a hospital system. Um, but I still deal with a lot of the same kinds of issues, and I see it every day in the support groups that I'm in. How many people have struggles with their um, with their their insurance providers over things that they have been prescribed or things that their doctors say that they need, and we are relying because of the healthcare system that we have. We're relying on these insurance companies to tell us what is best for us. So we don't even have the luxury of trusting our doctors if we could trust them to begin with. And we can't. Exactly. Because they're in the pocket of every pharmaceutical company known to man. They, I cannot get my yes. doctors to prescribe me anything other than opiates for my pain. I have asked them to um, give I me referrals. I have as well because to, my mother has yeah. cirrhosis of the liver and she can't be on pain meds. And yeah. I'm like, can you do something else? Or like, no, and there's, there's so many else. other alternatives, right? There's so many holistic but alternatives. They, refuse it. they will not they won't do prescribe it. that to you. So if I want to go and get acupuncture, I have to pay for it out of pocket because my insurance company is not going to pay for that. And my hospital is not going to refer me to an acupuncturist, but they will, they will hand me a bottle of 90 morphine pills and say, have a good day. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. with no concern whatsoever about whether I'm going to be addicted because, hey, I've got stage four cancer, so how long am I going to live anyway? Just manage your pain. That's all they're That's trying all to they're do. That's all they're trying to tell you. And I'm like, look, I I intend <clears throat> to But the subliminal the message, too, is we're too, we're too overwhelmed with everything that your, your case is really insignificant to us. Become really a number. Is, you become a number. You become just somebody. And for older people, for viejitos, like my parents, girl, oh, they're even worse. treated worse. Especially if you have language barriers. Exactly. Even if there's language barriers, they're kind of left to their own devices, and they're kind of hoping that they just die. 
right? I mean, they just pass. And it's like, wow, you that's somebody's parent. That's somebody's mother. That's somebody's something. And for people with disabilities, like, so I learned, so we have something called Social Security Disability Insurance okay. in the United States, where if you are disabled and unable to work because of a health issue, that you can apply for SSDI. Well, in order to apply for SSDI, you have to have no ability to work whatsoever. So you cannot have the ability to make an income. On SSDI, if you make over $399 a month, you're disqualified. What? On SSDI, if you have more Damn. than $2,000 in your bank account, you are disqualified. If you are married and you try to get Social Security Disability Insurance, you cannot have wow. collectively more than $3,500 in the bank. So you have to be the most impoverished, the most destitute, and the most um, unable to work in order to qualify for insurance that our taxes pay for as a country. And it's the and it's wealthiest difficult. country in the world, by yeah. the way. And it's, this is a situation we're really living sad. in. And for a lot of people who are on Social Security disability insurance, they can't get married. So it's, it's it becomes a marriage equality issue as well because if they were to get married, they'd be disqualified from their insurance. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, think about a young person who gets um, who gets diagnosed with cancer at 18, 19 years old and, you know, still, let's say they survive it, but now they have chronic pain issues and chronic mobility issues and yeah. everything that comes with, a key, you know, a long-term chemo treatment and they are on disability and they mm-hmm. want to get married. Mm-hmm. Now they're 26 and they want to get married. Well, if they get married, they lose their insurance. And you better hope that the person you're marrying has good insurance and has a good job and, you know, isn't also a part of the poverty system. In our right. And even, even when you do have insurance and you do have a stable job, Anything can send you to another, any any disease, any illness can still send you to bankruptcy. Well, it's you're still, still make yeah. you broke. You're still paying an exorbitant amount of money. You're paying exactly. close to five, six hundred dollars a month for premium insurance. And then you've got a five thousand dollar deductible in order to for them to cover anything. To cover it. Mm-hmm. And you've got medical bills coming out of your ears. I mean, it's outrageous. And then pharmaceuticals having that ability to gauge and to like really like you know, charge whatever they feel like charging on some of these pills because there's no regulation. Um, I don't know. Like, I I hate to think that uh, that we're stuck with this, but I don't see anybody ever putting up a fight, like even like putting up a real fight because the lobby, the pharmaceutical lobby, the medical lobby, the doctor's lobby, all of them have such a stronghold on on everything that I feel like even if we tried, even if we wanted to, I don't think we could even make a dent. Not it's really. It's so intense and so it's so difficult. You know, and I think one of the things that I've always wanted to do, and maybe I'll do this one day, is I'll ha- I, I want to create like a blueprint on like how to approach doctors when somebody's sick or how to go about setting up appointments and how to, what questions to ask. Because believe me, I have been there and I've seen it and I feel so frustrated. I leave those hospitals really sad really sad because I just don't, I just don't see, and, and may, and I, I get it. Maybe sometimes they're overworked. They're overwhelmed. I understand there's a lot of factors that I'm not considering. I get that. But from a patient's point of view, from my mother's caretaker, from that point of view, it is really depressing. I think what's important is that we educate ourselves as much as we can on our diagnoses and, you know, what that means, what, what long-term care for those kinds of things actually takes. I think that we go into our doctor's offices informed 
and understanding what our, our patient rights are and what we are allowed to ask for patient so rights. that yeah so that we can um, advocate for ourselves more um, more aggressively I think it's important and I learned this just recently that it's important to take a, a notepad and a pencil and to you know when you have doctors saying whatever they're you know talking to you about whatever diagnosis write everything down write everybody's name down, whatever the doctor's names are, yes. all of the medications that they're asking you to take and to ask lots of questions. When I started asking more questions in my recent hospital stay, they were so quick to let me know. As long as I was satiated, medicated, and quiet, they were happy to keep me there indefinitely, mm-hmm. pumping mm-hmm. me full of pain meds and keeping me Yeah, copacetic. God forbid you yeah. advocate for yourself. But as soon as I started going, so what's going on here? What's, what's my diagnosis? Why am I being kept? What's the treatment plan? What's next? You know, is there anything else that mm-hmm, I can do? Mm-hmm, when are you mm-hmm. sending me home? They're like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, we're sending you home today. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a coincidence that you're sending me home today considering there was, you know. I know. I wasn't I know. saying anything before, but now that I'm asking questions, now you can go home. Mm-hmm. Or when the doctor doesn't answer your call because you're asking a lot too many yeah. questions. That happens to me all the time. They're like, oh, we'll get you. We'll get you. We'll, we'll call you back. And they never call me back. Yeah. <laughs> I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to get rid of me. And I'm not going anywhere. And we have this assumption that because we're in a, um, you know, in a country that has insurance companies, and you know, in this capitalist yeah. society, that we have more choices than, say, a single-payer healthcare mm-hmm. system. Mm-hmm. We do not because we are dictated to buy those insurance companies on what kind of health care we can receive. We don't always get to choose our own doctors. Those doctors that are the best in their fields are likely booked up for months and months yes, in advance. Yes. So when you need acute care, you can't find it unless you're willing to go to the ER. And the ER is just, I, I, I hate to see anybody go to the ER because yeah. you're just going to get no, taken. It's a last case scenario that you want. You really don't want to go there. And I feel like in like in 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 this country, two things are, are for certain for me. You get the kind of justice you can afford, and you get the kind of health care you can afford. I mean, it's just a reality. You could be you could be going to Ben Tab, and you can sense how they treat you. It's so different from going to like a nice hospital. Like, there's just a difference. It really is. You get the healthcare you can afford. You get the justice you can afford. That's just the reality, and that's how things really are. Unfortunately, um, but before we go, before we end it on that note, what is something you want us to know? Uh, maybe you want other women to know, other people to know. Maybe a piece of advice, maybe something that you thought, okay, people have to know this. Yeah. I think I think especially for the women in my life, it has been one of those things that I've been a huge advocate for recently is to take those symptoms that you have more seriously and to take them to your doctor at first sign. If you have the ability to, you have insurance or you have access to medical care, use it. Use your whatever privilege that you have to get the care that you deserve. And I hate to say this, it's something, a piece of advice that I gave um, a friend of mine recently, Mm -hmm. and it's a sad, sad fact of the society that we live in, but if your doctors won't listen to you, take a man. Take your brother, take your dad, take your boyfriend, and make the men in your life Mm -hmm. tell the doctor what you would have them be told, because a lot of times women are not um, believed, our pain is not believed, we are not taken seriously, we are dismissed very often in the level of care that we receive especially when it comes to our reproductive rights if you have a man that you trust that will advocate for you take them with you and make them your mouthpiece because i promise you you will get a lot better care than if you're to go by yourself you know what you're absolutely correct that is that is a really good piece of advice 
When I was very sick with a hypernemesis, my father-in-law got me the care because he went in there and he like demanded that they take care of me. And they wouldn't pay attention to me. They just put me to the side. That is so true. Victoria, it's been such a good conversation. Yeah. I love to see you working, doing your Thank thing, you. um, going out and like, I just love it. You're traveling. Yeah, you inspired getting, me to getting travel. Getting sun, getting margaritas. <laughs> I know I love it. I love, I love to see that. Thank you. I love to see that. Enjoy yourself and and um, whatever we can do, whatever I can do, let me know. You know, I'm 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 here. I'm ready. I'm willing to whatever you need me to do. Seriously. Thank you. Fr fr. <laughs> for real, for real. I love that. Okay. <laughs> I have teenagers. Can you tell? Right. <laughs> totally. Love you. Thank you. Thank you for being on. Friends, I must tell you, I know the place to go if you need house audio, TV installation, security monitoring. I am telling you, these people are so, so good that I cannot wait to share them with you. AVS Concepts is the place to get all of these things taken care of. They're the experts in audio video. If you are entertaining and you need music, call them. If you just purchased a new house and you want to have security, you've got to call them. They are the best at all of this for you. I am so excited to share them with you. They are new sponsors for the podcast. You will not not regret having them in your house. They can put anything up and create the most amazing surround sound. I am telling you, when I watch my movies, I like to watch them with surround sound. And thanks to AVS Concepts, I can do that. Follow them at their Instagram account, AVSC underscore HTX, or you can also find them at their website, avcschouston.com, and tell them that Alicia from Vines by Alicia sent you, and they will take care of you, I promise you.